Welcome to the Ambassadors for Christ Outreach Ministries podcast. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Let's look at Luke chapter 23, verses 33. Luke 23 and 33. Stick with me on this one. Luke 23 and 33. If you have it, say amen. 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 It says, and when they were come to the place, somebody just highlight, underline, put a footnote by the place, which is called Calvary. There they crucified him, talking about Jesus. And the male factors, one on the right hand, And the other on the left. That's it. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and one on the left. I want to talk about for a few minutes on this morning at this place. At this place. Somebody say this place. As you well know, the Bible is populated with persons, places, and things. Someone will call that a noun. It is decorated with fascinating and familiar events. It is filled, beloved, with the bulwark of God's power, the beauty of his handiwork, the bounty of his grace, and it is the masterpiece of God's intentions. It is in this preaching moment that I am inspired and interested in lifting up the importance of this place. It is unproductive when one, when any of us in the room is unable to identify the place that they are in. When you cannot speak to the place that life has brought you, most likely you will spend more time there than you desire. If you were to comb through the Bible, you would discover that there are many places that are noteworthy of conversation and consideration. If, if you would allow me on this morning, by way of a brief running commentary, there's a place called Arab, where the ark landed when the flood was over. There's a place called Moriah, where Abraham offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice. There's a place called Sinai where Moses received the written laws, the Ten Commandments. There's a place called Pisgah, where the Lord showed Moses the promised land. There's a place called Nebo, where the Lord buried Moses and then turned around and buried his grave. There's a place called Carmel, where Elijah challenged Baal and the Lord of the hosts answered by fire. There's a place called Zion, where God showed David that he was a stronghold in the time of trouble. There's a place called Olive, where Jesus would retire to pray all night long. There's a place called Hermon, where Jesus was transfigured and his divinity outshined his humanity. There's a place called Jordan, where John baptized Jesus. It is important to give segue and notation to the fact that the place does not edify the man, 
but it is the man that edifies the place. Stick with me. Who would, who would remember Mount Ararat if Noah had not landed there after the flood? Who would remember Mount Jerizim or in the region of Mount Moriah if Abraham had not decided or had decided rather to assassinate his son Isaac somewhere else? Who would remember Mount Pisgah had not it been for Moses who from its landing gleaned the promised land. What significance would Mount Sinai have if Moses had missed his appointment with the CEO of eternity? Who would remember Mount Carmel had the prophet Elijah not won what by all accounts was a lopsided battle? It was won against 450, but did not the power of God prevail? Mount Hermon would be have no value if the Lord Jesus chose another place to be transfigured. Mount Olive would have no place in history had the Lord Jesus not chosen the Garden of Gethsemane, which garrisons the foot of Olive to pray. But then there is a place called Calvary that supersedes all other places. Just as a castle is beyond a cabin in acreage, just as an orchard is beyond a twig in fruit bearing, just as a river is beyond a, re a reef in reach, just as a cannon is beyond a pop gun in distance, just as a mountain is just is is beyond a molehill in mast, and just as an eagle's wings is beyond a sparrow's wings in strength, so is this place called Calvary. It was the place of all places. It was an unusual place. It was a prophetic place as well as a place that was prophesied about. The Bible talks about this place long before this place took place. In Genesis chapter 3, 15, here's the proof. It suggests that the Lord will bruise the serpent's head at this place as if the Trinity was discussing the matter. Isaiah 53 and 5 certifies that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we were healed. Jesus oftentimes preached about this place. I'm going to stop right there because we just came from the Bible doesn't say that. A lot of people take Isaiah 53 and 5 and we say by his stripes we are healed. That is not a physical healing. That is a spiritual healing. Amen. We're going to move on. I'll deal with that another day. In Luke 2.49 when Jesus said that he must be about his father's business, he was referring to this place. In John 3 and 14, uh, Moses lifted up the serpent uh, in the wilderness, and even so, the man, son of man must be lifted up. He was talking about this place. He mentioned again in John 12 and 32 that if I and I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. He was referring to 
this place. I'm just trying to prove a point. In Matthew 6 and 21, it declares that the time has come that the Son of Man should be suffered, be crucified, die, and raise again. And on the third day, he was making mention regarding this place. The prophets prophesied about this place. Jesus preached about this place. But God the Father planned this place. Revelation says that the Son of Man was slain before the foundation of the world, which is to suggest that in the mind of God, Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, had already died at Calvary, this place, before he was ever born in Bethlehem. It is compulsory that I pause here parenthetically to sympathize with humanity in its attempt to comprehend God and how he moves through time and yet remains eternal. We have to compartmentalize time uh, into three segments at least to make sense of our existence. Uh There is past, Uh there is present, Uh and there is future. There is was, there is is, and there is shall be. But the reality is when you consider the DNA of time, yesterday is in the tomb and tomorrow is in the womb. Yesterday is a canceled check and tomorrow is a promissory note. Yesterday is history and tomorrow is a mystery. Yesterday is recollection and tomorrow is speculation. But with God, yesterday, today, and tomorrow is an eternal time. God never has to leave anywhere to go anywhere because he is already where he is going. And he is still where he was All at the same time. It is cataloged under the word or the term that we like to use, omnipresent. I'm so glad that God, the Lord, allows uh, or occupies where I am. He said, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. What a catastrophe my life would be uh, with no comeback strategy in sight. If if God did not live in my now, if God did not live in my now, the curtain of life wouldn't close would have closed on me a long time ago. If God did not live in my now, the calamities of life would have consumed my courage to continue. If God did not live in my now, all that I am and all that I am destined to be is forfeited, fractured, and fruitless. My future would be failed, foregone conclusions. But it all was made possible at this place called Calvary. This was a place planned by God long before the earth was garnished with greenery. It was a place of prophecy. Uh This place was also a place of provision. Abraham in Genesis 22 on his way to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Isaac says, Father, I see the fire and I see the wood, but where is the sacrifice? 
And Abraham, the father, declares that God will provide. Yes, will. After investigating the evidence of the text, I discovered that provide is a compound word. Pro means before and bide means video, which really means that God has seen it already. For the Almighty, our, our, our life is but a rerun. Isn't that just like God who is able to see things before they happen? The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. He always has an answer for man's ills long before illness sets in. He knows our thoughts afar off. He has already predestined our journey. He has benchmarked every blessing. He has predated and predestined every one of our valleys and victories. No matter what their shape, no matter what their form, or no matter what their fashion God knew it was going to happen before it happened what a mess we would be in if God had no inclination of danger that lies ahead of us what what turmoil we would face if we he was unable to see our future our fortune or our failures what devastation we would endure if the Lord was clueless as to how to manage, maneuver, and mentor us through tomorrow's terrain. Yes. yes, this place was a place of prophecy and provision, but it was also a place of pain. Jesus suffered at this place. Yes, sir. He suffered mentally. He suffered socially. He suffered physically. And he suffered Spiritually, I'm going to deal with all of those. He suffered mentally. He suffered socially. He suffered, suffered physically and he suffered spiritually. Mentally because he knew what was going to happen before it happened. Yeah. He lived in the shadows of the cross. Every time he walked through the rose garden, it reminded him of a crown of thorns that would be grace his brow. Every time he worked at his daddy's carpenter shop and picked up a nail, it would remind him of the nails that would be pierced in his wrists and in his feet. And every time he traveled through a wooded area, it was a constant reminder mentally of the tree that would be fashioned into a cross whereby he would be crucified. Living with constant flashbacks and forebacks of what had already occurred at Calvary before it even happened. Jesus suffered mentally at this place. I'm laboring this point as a reminder to every seasoned saint that no matter what place or position you find yourself in, there is a place, there is still a place that consumes all of our concerns. We must never forget the power, privileges, and provisions of this place. Yes, if I may, allow me to slip in parenthetically yet again a sidebar conversation if you don't mind. Uh -huh. You must understand that the death of Jesus was natural, uh -huh. unnatural, <laughs> preternatural, and supernatural. <laughs> it was natural, unnatural, preternatural, and supernatural. Allow me to explain. It was natural because he died. 
It was unnatural because he died without committing sin. It was preternatural because it was predetermined and it was supernatural because no man took his life, but he laid it down. And if he laid it down, then he alone has the power to raise it up again. That's a good place to shout hallelujah. As I was saying, he suffered mentally, but he also suffered socially. Somebody say socially. Because he started out with a big crowd. Jesus had followers from all over the land. They was, in fact, in one moment, it was so many people in this one house Jesus was in that the brothers needed their friend to be healed. They poured, tore the roof off the top just to get the man healed but 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 it, it, he fe- he realized that towards the end of his ministry he was left alone uh-huh. don't be mistaken about this christian journey right. the fact of the matter is that uh, you're not a- a- always going to end up with the same folk you started out with right. you cannot b- pout about separation issues on this christian journey if they left jesus surely they're going to leave you. You've got to learn that to not get too attached to folk who's on a temporary assignment. The fact of the matter is that most folk were never meant to go where, you were, where your anointing is taking you. They were only meant to endure the testimony and not the test. You've got to realize, ambassadors, that people, and I'm still in that parentheses period of this sermon, that people are a part of your life in three stages. First, some folk are in your life for an event that's a temporary dwelling. They won't be around long anyway. Secondly, folk are around for they're in an era, which is to suggest that they will be around for a while. And then there are those that will be there for an eternity. The problem is when we people, you sit in your seat, we try to hold on to folk for an era that was only meant to be in our life for an event. And if you don't find a way to leave them, they will take you under, sink your ship, and destroy your destiny. The Bible says, lay aside every weight. Yes, he suffered socially. He also suffered physically. Somebody say physically. The Bible describes how they disrobed him. They beat him within an inch of his life. His his flesh was ripped apart with every lash and blood splattered everywhere. I hope you understand that every lash he took was for you. It was for you and I. Look at Isaiah 53 again. The Bible says he was wounded For our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with every single stripe, we are healed. Jesus did not have to surrender to man. Just to be sure, in Matthew 26 and 53, Jesus says that he could call his father. And his father would send 12 legions of angels. If y'all don't understand what 12 legions of angels are, I'm going to tell you anyway. If no one told you one legion of angel is 6,000. 
and 12 legions of angels are 72,000 angels. The Savior, our Jesus Christ, has at his disposal more than 72,000 angels at any given time. Isaiah 37 and 36 says that one angel all by himself killed 185,000 men by himself. I'm just trying to show you what kind of power Jesus has. All he got to do is make the call. That being said, let me do the math. The case then, one legion can destroy 1,110,000 men by themselves. So 72,000 or 12 legions of angels, you do the math, can destroy 13,320,000 men. That's why Jesus scolded Peter at the garden when he tried to defend him in the, king, with the, in the kingdom with a kitchen knife. Who can come against the Lord of hosts? Those that are for us. Now you understand the meaning of that. Are far more than those that are against us. That's another good place to shout hallelujah. Beloved, don't be dismayed this morning. Although you see pictures of uh, with nails in the hands of Jesus, this is not entirely accurate. According to theologians, uh, actually they were driven into his wrist. They wanted to pierce the medial muscle in his wrist. Watch this because they knew that it would take the power from his hand. It was because his hands had history. It was his hands that touched dumb tongues and they began to speak. It was his hands that opened deaf ears and it was his hands that turned lunch baskets into banquets. It was, they, they were trying to stop the power in his hands. Every now and then you ought to feel the hand of God on your life. Not only that, but they put uh, his body on a tree at a 45 degree angle, which means that his weight has to rest on his thighs and because of the pressure of his thighs he would pull himself up with his hands and whenever that happened the pain would shoot through his body and cause him to start to dehydrate and because of this his inside layers of skin would start to separate from the outside layer of skin and according to the scripture he would begin to sweat drops of blood I told you before I started talking about all this stuff that he suffered physically Lastly, not only did he suffer the first three, but he also suffered spiritually. Somebody say spiritually. spiritually. There was only one time that the Bible speaks of the fellowship between the Father and the Son. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with. The Word with, which is in the Greek, means faith to face but at Calvary at this place there was not face to face between God and Jesus this is because 
words, my sins and your sins got in the way. Look at the word sins. Sins, S-I-N-S, is a plural word, meaning multiple, will always create division and distance and disruption. If you hadn't noticed, sins spoil and soils. It sins chokes and provokes. It corrupts and corrodes. In fact, if you look at the word sins, S-I-N-S, there are two S's in sins. And if you follow them, you will discover that sins will bring about sorrow and sorrow follows sadness. Sadness is followed by suffering and that is followed by sickness. And after sickness, there is death because the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. But the problem is that there is an eye in the middle. When you lie, there's an eye. In the word pride, there's an eye. But if you replace the I with an O, the S-O-N becomes the answer for the S-I-N that is in our lights. That's another good place to give God a hallelujah. Yes, this place was a place of prophecy, a place of pain, a place of provision, but it was also a place of prayer. He said, Father, forgive them. Isn't it strange that in Mark chapter 2, Jesus does the forgiving himself, but now on the cross, he cried out to the Father asking for forgiveness of men. The reason is because Jesus, our Savior, he took on sin and sin cannot forgive sin, but the Father can. Aren't you glad that the Father is willing to forgive our sins on behalf of his Son named Jesus? The reason that Jesus made a blanket request and didn't identify Herod, Pilate, and the Roman soldiers who were direct partakers of death was because he had gotten, if he had gotten into name calling, he would have had to call Adam who sinned in the garden. He would have had to call Cain who killed his brother. He would have had to call Noah who got drunk often and found was found naked at one point. He would have had to call on Abraham and Isaac who lied about their wives. He would have had to call on Jacob who lied about his identity. Moses who killed an Egyptian. Samson who got a haircut by the wrong barber. David who took another man's life and had her, her husband assassinated. Job, he would have had to say Job's name who cursed the day he was born and not to mention that Jeremiah was a backslider and Elijah was a coward. Don't be mistaken. It was your sins and my sins that put Jesus on the cross. I'm so glad 
that Jesus says, Father, forgive them. But he didn't call out nobody's name because it lets me know that he was thinking about Marcus Andrew Treadwell III. Somebody ought to get excited because God said, Father, forgive them. Or you ought to take a pen in your mind and scratch them out and put your name in it. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah. Father, forgive them. It covered every generation from the beginning of time to the beginning of eternity. The text says, and when they came to the place they called Calvary, crucified him. As I attempt to descend from this discourse, no matter what place you come to or end up in this life, make sure you make it about God. Make it about our Savior. There was a story about a little boy and his mother who went to see uh, the new mall that just opened down in the south. And after being there for most of the day and going from store to store, I mean, they was getting a shop on like some of us do. Uh, and, And somehow the little boy got separated from his mother. After searching and searching for hours, she called the police to help find her child. The mother finally went home at the advice of the police while they continued to search for her child. Shortly thereafter, the police found the little boy in the toy shop and began to ask him where he lived. He couldn't remember his address. Neither did he know his mama's cell phone number. Then they asked him if there were any landmarks, any special places around his house that he could remember. And he said that there was a church that sits on a hill and on that church was a steeple and on that steeple was a cross. The little boy said, if you could only just get me to a place where I can see the cross, I believe I can find my way home. There is a place that is above all other places and it is at the cross of Calvary. At The cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all day. There is salvation at this place. There is love at this place. There is peace at this place. There is joy at this place. If you don't believe me, there is healing at this place. There is forgiveness at this place. There is restoration at this place. There is redemption at this place. And if you lost in the sermon, there is a savior at this place. There is acceptance at this place. There is power. God power at this place. There is provision at this place. There is no place like this place. Everything you need is at this place. It's at Calvary. Somebody ought to put your hands together and give God a hand praise for his word. 
We hope that this message has blessed you and can carry you through your week. For more information, visit www.afcoutreach.com.